these traumas, my uncle's death, my father, King's death, the Vietnam War itself, 9-11 and COVID, each one of these traumas pushed us a little farther down that road. And Eisenhower warned us against where today, you know, we are the military industrial complex. Our, our, our democracy, nobody in this country believes that their voices are audible in Washington. You know, everything is rigged and everybody knows that it's like the kabuki theater of, of a democracy. Welcome to the Independent Riot Podcast. Your home for free thinkers, independent believers, and radicals questioning the status quo. Our goal is to provide you entertaining, intelligent discussion around all of life's most pressing questions without hidden agendas or ulterior motives. So if you're too good for the bad, too bad for the good, and sick of people trying to convince you to join their preferred pyramid scheme this week, you've found your home. Now here's your host, Jim Duncan. Welcome back to the Independent Ride, everyone, where we are just kind <clears> of <throat> trying to get things right. So <laughs> today we've got a very interesting show towards that effort that is the second part of the interview with William Clabber, who is an expert on the assassinations from the 1960s. And today we're going to be going into Bobby, Senator Bobby Kennedy's murder in 1968. And if you didn't recognize his voice at the beginning of this episode, that's actually RFK Jr., Senator Bobby Kennedy's son, who is currently running for president, talking about his, uh, his father's assassination as well as his uncle JFK's assassination in the 60s with um, on valuetainment. Um, which I'll put a link in uh, the show notes to that video if you want to watch it in its entirety, which I definitely recommend it because um, he goes into a lot of fascinating details about why he does not believe the conventional story about his father, Senator Bobby Kennedy's death is accurate. Now, before we get into the discussion with William Clabber today, I did want to make a, a quick note about conspiracy theories in general that I think the way the majority of Americans handle any sort of quote unquote conspiracy theory is inaccurate. You're doing it wrong. So <laughs> whether you are on the far left or the far right, and I only use those terms to basically classify what I see as two binary extremes that people gravitate towards if they're American citizens, both of them are doing it wrong. If you are on the far right, every conspiracy should not be believed just because it demonizes the people that you think are wrong. You should hold yourself up to a level of evidence, a standard of evidence and principles to actually weed out uh, many things that uh, you maybe would like to be true, but you can't prove and only base your assumptions on what you can find actual evidence for. As in, uh, if you see something doesn't make sense, don't necessarily equate that to that Hillary Clinton is going to rip off a mask and be a lizard person that's going to eat your baby. You can't go that far. You can only go as far as the evidence presents. On the opposite side of that spectrum, quote unquote, the far left, basically, uh, you are not intellectually superior by sticking your head in the sand and just saying the word science over and over again and deferring your objective reasoning to institutional powers and figureheads. It doesn't matter how many degrees you've got in frog reproduction from the 1800s. Um, people are picking up on the fact that if you can't logically defend your beliefs, then your opinion still is very faulty. So now that I have hopefully alienated 90% of America and 
any potential uh, audience that this show might have. Now we can move forward with things and um, hopefully you can find um, this exploration of RFK's death as interesting as I do because there is a lot of stuff that does not add up about it. Following my own rules that I just sort of briefly summarized, I don't know what that means. It does seem like if you listen to the uh, past episode that uh, me and co-host FCAT did kind of discussing the MLK um, assassination and the 1960s assassinations in general, it seems to me we're moving to a point that fits kind of more what RFK Jr. was saying at the start of this clip, that those three murders from the 1960s most likely were orchestrated by factions of the military industrial complex, AKA parts of the federal government and uh, CIA deep state, whatever you want to say or call it. But it is um, important to always check yourself and try to only believe in things that you can see evidence for. Uh, and I don't mean visually see, I, I just mean that uh, you can't get too far over your skis in any of this stuff. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't question it. It doesn't mean that you can't use your objective reasoning and independent thinking to explore these fascinating topics and people that are afraid to even look at them. Um, they're only one of two things, either cowardly or lazy. They aren't more intelligent just because they take the conventional narrative and uh, refuse to question the status quo. So anyway, one of those people that it has spent their life questioning the status quo is William Clabber, who is the uh, creator and host of the MLK tapes about Martin Luther King's death and the first part of of my interview with him is two episodes earlier, which I really, really encourage you to go listen to that as well as the MLK tapes with William Clabber because he just the it's so well done and he goes into so, so much more additional information about it that if you actually start to listen to that, I would be shocked if you can't at least come to the conclusion that the conventional story around MLK's death and as you will start to hear today around RFK's death does not really add up. Now, what the answer is, um, it we still don't know. But if you listen to, to today's talk with William Clabber, you can get insight into what he thinks are some of the answers regarding RFK's death which I suspect you'll find pretty interesting. And if you do find this interview interesting and you like the thought of supporting independent thinking and unbiased analysis of things, then please consider um, trying to tell somebody about the show, spread the word and or leave a positive review for us on any podcast player that you're listening to on it. All of that is free and definitely helps the show a lot. And now, without further ado, a relentless defender of truth and host of the MLK tapes, William Clabber. I wanted to segue into RFK because basically what we've uh, painted a picture of is, uh, and again, I encourage everybody to actually listen to the MLK tapes to get into this more but it's uh, basically a government-backed uh, assassination of MLK is what it looks like with the Dixie Mafia involved. But then um, a few months later, you've got RFK, which is potentially not the same players necessarily, but it uh, looks very similar to the JFK incident of it has something to do with the, potentially the national security state um, uh, assassinating RFK. This one doesn't, um, this se seems to me to be, um, 
the MLK thing seems to be more clear cut to me once you get into the evidence. The RFK seems like there are so many questions that don't make sense that it's hard to determine what the truth is with RFK. But absolutely, the official story is not 100% accurate. So would you mind kind of summarizing that and what your take is on it? Yeah. Uh, well, first, Jim, you're wrong. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, RFK is much easier to understand and much easier to see through. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah, my opinion. Uh, yeah. Uh, in in that the the evidence that proves uh, the official story is a bunch of bunk is right in front of everybody. Uh, and it, yes, in the beginning, it's it looks like there's nothing to discover. Kennedy is shot. They capture the guy with a gun. Uh, he says he did it. He did it alone. It's a prosecutor's dream. Uh, and that's all fine until you start looking at the evidence. And the evidence shows to a virtual certainty that more than eight bullets were fired in the pantry. Uh, probably yeah. 13 bullets were fired. And they were fired from two different directions and from two different spaces. Um it's very unlikely that any bullets from Sirhan's gun ever struck Robert Kennedy. Okay. Um, and uh, he's, he's four or five, uh, maybe six feet in front of uh, Kennedy, shoots, gets off two shots in his direction. And after the second shot, uh, Euchre grabs his, his wrist, forces him down onto the steam table where he continues to pull the trigger and empties his gun basically in the same direction, but not not towards Kennedy. And in any case, Kennedy is facing him. And uh, uh, meanwhile, John Kennedy is uh, Bobby Kennedy is shot four times in the back. And I think there's a fifth bullet that misses him completely. These are all at a fairly steep upward angle. Uh, shot from very close powder burn range. Um, Sirhan is never in powder burn range. And uh, he gets two shots off and he's wrestled down. But in the meantime, there's four or five shots from behind Kennedy. Um, Just the sequence doesn't doesn't fit. You can't have four shots going up there. uh, Even if Sirhan's gun somehow could get to Kennedy and somehow Kennedy is turned around and and all that, you, you still don't get the up and down. Um, you don't get this, this sequence. It's, it's rather impossible. Um, so if you can count to 10, you know that something very different is happening. And the problem for the LABD is that the evidence of the extra bullets is out there for everyone to see. Um, that you know, you have four bullets in the four bystanders, Weisel, um, uh, Stroll, Elizabeth Evans, um, forgetting the other one. And then you have a bullet in, in uh, two bullets in Bobby Kennedy, one bullet that, and I'm just doing the official count of bullets. Yeah. One bullet that goes through Kennedy and up into the ceiling that gets lost. And that means they only have one bullet for Schrade. And that has to be the bullet that goes through Kennedy's suit jacket, but doesn't touch his body. And they run a rod up through that suit. It's almost a vertical shot, although it does lean a little towards the front. Hmm. Paul, Paul Schrade's six feet behind Kennedy, and he gets a bullet straight on in the forehead. Wow. Assumably, the laws of Newton apply in that pantry yeah. that day. You, bullets do not take a 90-degree turn. And, I mean, the whole and, – and the reason they got the num- numbers to work anyway is they, they said that Sirhan – shot up into the ceiling. It bounced off the cement floor and came back and hit Elizabeth Evans in the, the forehead. And that could not, that that's not physically not possible. Uh, yeah. So the whole thing breaks down. But besides that, in the direction that Sirhan was shooting, you've got four wounded wit- witnesses, five with Sheree, and then you've got three bullet holes in wood door frames. Um, yeah. So you see, you see those bullets and those are the bullets from Sirhan's gun. Now you got three three bullets in the ceiling, and you've got uh, uh, two bullets in in Bobby Kennedy. Um, there's your thirteen shots, and there's two people firing. Yeah. And 
what happens is that uh, a lot of people saw these bullet holes. A lot of them, you know, people who worked there said, no, th- these holes weren't there before. You have a picture of officers, Rossi and Reich, kneeling and looking at a bullet hole in the door frame. Um, and, you know, and then they do a close-up with a ruler next to it. And you do a close-up of the hole they're looking at. You can see the base of the bullet in it. And, uh, and you know, the police officers are supposed to write an in-person report about what they did the night of the assassination, and which were, presumably Rossi and Wright did. Only their reports are not in the first person. They're all in the third person. And mm. they don't mention anything about finding a bullet. Oh, what does that say? It says that they took their original reports and rewrote them for them and just extracted the part where they found the bullet. Ten years later, they were asked, I think by Moldea, you know, did did you uh, pull a bullet out of there? No, but we saw it. And how how sure were you that it was a bullet? And so, well, it wasn't a nail. I know it wasn't a nail. I, I've seen bullets before. Uh, you know, so they both said, you know, out of a one to 10 scale, it was a nine that it was an absolute bullet that they were looking at. But meanwhile, the, the police are pretending they never saw the thing. In, and, but in those locations, the door jam and the ceiling tiles were taken out by yeah. the LAPD and then mysteriously destroyed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So when you're destroying the evidence that you say really wasn't evidence, um, you know, if those door jams, they took them down and it was some big mistake and they could prove that, no, those weren't bullet holes. Because Dwayne Wolfer, the chief criminalist, said that those were holes that the waiters had punched, bumped into the walls and made those holes because they had a little round thing on the trays. Uh, <laughs> that was his. I, I swear to God, I mean, it's so Mickey Mouse. And if you know you bring any amount of intelligence to this at all, you see right through it. Uh, Bill Bailey was uh, FBI agent on the scene. He was got there about a couple hours after Kennedy was killed, and he spent the night there. And um, he said, "I saw those bullet holes. I know what a fucking bullet hole looks like. The wood was freshly broken away. I could see the base of the bullet in each wow. hole. I know what a bullet looks like." You know, and he was saying, there's no question there was a conspiracy here. If you can count the bullets, you know, two guns are firing. You know, this wow. is an FBI guy. And, and, and there were a lot of witnesses that saw this. And as you say, they took them down. And, and then, you know, Dan Muldean is in his work for the Regardes magazine article, which, you know, uh, basically said more, more bullets were fired than Sir Han could have fired his gun. He, he had talked to a number of Los Angeles Police Department people who were there and who basically said, yeah, no, we took bullets out of there. And one said, no, I saw, saw Dwayne Wolfer take the bullets out of that wood. And the, the carpenters that came and took the woods down uh, for the, uh, to take the bullets out and then put the, put the wood back for the time being before it was taken uh, down. So they were all brought into it and they all made statements about what they saw. Um, so th- there were bullets there and any bullets recovered uh, in the pantry is evidence of a second gun. Yeah. And, and if you, if you can accept the evidence of a second gun, that changes everything. Yeah. Everything. Because now the fact that Sir Han can't remember the crime. Yeah. That has, you know, because you know, normally, you, you know, you kill somebody, you murder somebody, and you say you don't remember. Well, I'm sorry. You fucking did it. You know, yeah. too bad. But in this case, if he, you know, he's just a distraction and somebody else is pulling off the real murder, then why is he there? How did he get there? And yeah. that that's, uh, and I, I read in your notes that you, you find that the uh, mind control thing uh uh, a little hard to swallow. Uh, everybody yeah. does. Yeah, that's a, it. But I, I, I just actually interviewed the episode is is not out yet, but interviewed the journalist Stephen Kinzer, who's written a book called The Poisoner in Chief about MK Ultra. So I go back and forth on this because absolutely the CIA was trying to do mind control. At this time. So that's beyond question that they were abs. 
that I guess the only part that I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, I go back and forth on it. If, is there a way that the, uh, the Sirhan as a distraction theory can work without mind control or I love, I love that question, uh, Jim. And, and I'll give you, I'll give you two full days and you can come up with any, you can go in any direction you want yeah. and come up with a story and bring it back to me where that would work because yeah. I don't think it can. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think the distractor has to be an involuntary actor. Yeah. And, uh, and then with an involuntary actor, it, it does work. Uh, but there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Sirhan was in a trance. Um, okay. At, at, at that time, um, because he has just, no, he is in uh, however many decades we're at now. He's never had any recollection about the the crime. And then one of the more intriguing aspects about this, uh, which uh, maybe you could uh, give some additional information on, is the woman in the polka dot dress who was seen by multiple people, I believe, with Sirhan at different points yeah yeah um the, <laughs> yeah she was um the woman in the polka dot dress um the police would have you believe that there was just this one woman outside on the stair who this woman went by her with another man and they were laughing and we killed them we shot them and she reported that and then there was also the the waiter who was inside the the room and saucer hand with this very woman. Yep. And uh, uh, and these people were the famous witnesses. There were thirty other witnesses. Wow. That the police yeah. had thirty. Yeah. And you don't know about them because the police files were kept secret for all those years. And not only that, every time they interviewed somebody, they would do a summary of the interview. And it was a little tricky advice. So you have the real interview, then you'd have the summary interview, and then you'd have uh, a generation above that would be the police summary report. And it'd be amazing uh, how in the, and this is why you had to go back and listen to the very audio tapes of the real interviews and not just the summary of the interviews, because yeah. they would just, stuff they didn't like would just disappear. And yeah. that happened over and over and over again. And people saw oh, doc, you know, strong people. Dr. Evan Freed, who was a city councilman at one point, Dr. Uh, medical Dr. McBroom, uh, George Green actually saw this woman and another man come running out of the pantry going, we shot him, we shot him. And the other guy had a gun. And, you know, and, and a lot of people saw this. And uh, Susan Locke, uh, who was a Kennedy uh, worker, uh, saw this woman with the uh, two men and they were, they just looked out of place. And she went over to Carol Brashears, who was in charge of the Kennedy girls, and said, I don't think they have, they don't have the right stickers on them. And they, something funny about them. And so Carol Brashears said she would alert security. And she went and talked to somebody in the security. And then nobody knows if they tried to approach them or what happened after that. But it was obvious enough that the people were saying, who, who are those guys? And yeah. so they had people all over the place who saw them. And yet what they brought it down to is Sandra Serrano said she saw this woman. But her her unfortunate uh, story is that she bumped into Sandra Van Oker and told her story on TV because all the other people who saw this woman were just in in. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. So the interviews, we you, uh, we don't care. You you said that you saw that. No one else saw it, and you know, and you're buried there for the next twenty years because no one. You can't even tell if the police what the police are saying you said is accurate because yeah. nobody's allowed to look at it. So Sandra Serrano has to be destroyed, um, and if she is destroyed, you can say, "Oh, that's crazy story. That was some. It was an overwrought." political campaigner uh, and she just she just lost her mind a little bit and of course the same but they they didn't have they they couldn't destroy vincent de piero because they needed him he was the best witness they had he, he saw sirhan standing with this woman and then sirhan approaches kennedy and starts to shoot 
And he says, that's the waiter. That's the waiter. And so they, the the idea is they destroy um, Sandra Serrano and they rehabilitate Vincent de Piero. And it's, it's insane, but, um, and they, they frighten both of them and they get Serrano fired from her job. And, uh, and this other guy, John Fay, he, uh, was fired from his job and they threatening his marriage. He had, he had been with the young woman earlier who might've been the girl in the polka dot dress. And she said, they're going to come, they're going to get Kennedy tonight. And she fit the description. Oh yeah. Um, that's right. Earlier in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then, then with Faye, he said, "Oh, you weren't. You were just out with some some girl, and you just wanted to go to the beach and get some. And you know, and I'm sorry, we're going to have to tell your wife this. And, and you know, he's already lost his job. He's now about to lose his wife. If you know, or of course, you could change your story. We don't have to do any of this. And that's basically what they yeah. they did. And when you listen, the other thing they did is they gave a phony polygraph test." Uh, they had Sergeant Hank Hernandez, who became a lieutenant as soon as he broke uh, Sandra Serrano. And you'd sit them down and you'd ask them a bunch of questions. And you say, look, I mean, you're coming out really bad here on this this thing. And, you know, we have two. I have two choices here. I mean, I can I can go out here and hold this paper up and tell everybody you're a liar. And really, I, I that isn't the right way to go. That's not that's not what we want to do here. And. Well, but I saw those people. No, 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 Sandy, don't tell me you saw something you didn't see. Maybe you think you saw them. Anyway, they work them over, but they're phony polygraph tests because a lie detector yeah. doesn't do anything. And it and it's certainly if it's subject to corruption. It's the the operator has total control over everything. And whatever he says he sees, that's the truth. It's bullshit. And it, it had a day in the 1930s in Chicago when people believed that actually worked. And they were able to flush a few confessions out of guys who thought the machine had, had figured out they had lied. Yeah. But other than that, it doesn't. It detects a certain uh, physiological responses supposedly connected with what you tell Sly. But basically, you're going to have physiological responses when you're asked a question that might tend to show that you were involved in a crime, even if you weren't. I mean, you know, yeah. that's going to make you nervous yeah. anyway. It's it's so anyway, but they're giving these people phony polygraph tests and using that to beat them over the head and and say, you know, I, I'm not saying this. The you know, the, the lie detector says this, and you know, we're going to have to just basically hold you up as a big liar, and unless you want to just sort of tell us the truth. So, uh, I mean, that's, but 30 people, 30 people. And, you know, it's just fucking amazing how many. uh, And what was the, um, so if Sirhan was not the, the shooter that, that killed Bobby Kennedy, then it does seem like, is your belief that it was the security guard? Caesar that was immediately behind Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, that's the best guess um, for sure. Um, and because he was in perfect position. Yeah. Yes, yes, and something else that Zach dug up, uh, much to his chagrin. But Zach stumbled across a, a fabulous piece of evidence at the very end, uh, and uh, I don't know the name of the police officer. But he was out in California and was staying at someone's house. And her mother said, you know, I knew a guy who was at the hotel that they maybe want to talk to him on the phone. And Zach called him up and recorded this guy. And he said, you know, at the police station, the word just around there is they just we just had too many bullets. We didn't know we had more bullets and we know what to do with. And then said the other thing was that the security guard was carrying a twenty two. Is it what security guard carries a 22? And the, right out of the blue, 50 years later, this comes down the pike from somebody who was there who tells us these, these important things. They had more bullets than Sir Han could hold in his gun, and the security guard was carrying a 22. And it turns out a 22 that would, would match the actual kinds of uh, bullet identification striations. Uh, uh, so, and, and, 
Caesar lied about, he said he sold the, the gun before uh, the murder of Kennedy, but then it turned out that he'd sold the gun two months after the murder of Bobby Kennedy. So there's a lot to say that it was Thane Caesar who was standing behind him. Um, there are other reports of guns drawn in the pantry. I, uh, um, so is it possible that there was somebody else? Yes, but they would somehow have to be behind Kennedy. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and Caesar was. And so what is the, the overall theory then of why Bobby Kennedy was killed? It was basically a continuation of the same dynamics from JFK. They just totally. did not want him to get into the presidency. Well, sure. If you're rich enough and powerful enough to murder the president of the United States, yeah, you get away with it. Are you going to sit around three years later and watch his brother ascend to the presidency and take control of all the agencies who then have the power to really look into the crime and find out who was behind it? No way. No way. Yeah. It, you know, I, Martin Luther King may have had its own dynamic, uh, but um, the Bobby Kennedy thing was they they killed Jack and got away with it, and they were not going to risk having Bobby Kennedy ascend to the presidency and have his hands on all the levers of power. Yeah. Yep. Wow. It, uh, yeah, it's just so uh, uh, troubling when you uh, – the, the thing that's most troubling to me is not the actual event. It's the fact that we still live in a society where all of these debates are not being had and the evidence is not in the media and the – like somehow that's the most troubling part to me. I mean, it's very troubling that any of these gentlemen were killed or assassinated, but just the fact that 50 years later, it's still all of these very valid uh, discrepancies are never addressed in the mainstream. Yeah. Like this, yeah. this should be, it seems like being talked about until it's conclusively determined. So but this was a very good book. Yeah. Should have been reviewed. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to link to that in the show notes along <laughs> with the, the RFK tapes and the MLK tapes. And um oh, I, I guess I, at, Yeah, ahead. I was going to ask is there anything as we sort of move into wrapping up any other points you want to talk about or or uh things you want to highlight? Um well, you know, I was curious about um, your your feelings on mind control because you said this okay. is one yeah. area, yeah. And I thought maybe we could explore that a little because you're not sure. alone. I mean, yeah, most most people have these problems, but yeah, I'd like to hear yeah. from you. Yeah. So the all right. So I try to train myself to uh, only go as far in believing things as I've. Believe I know the facts for, which I think is a healthy protocol to have. Uh, it, the mind control thing, I've never seen anything that conclusively proves to me it can be done. So that's why I don't want to go there. And it's probably because it also, if it's true, that Sirhan was uh, successfully mind-controlled, it's almost to a point where then you got to reshuffle your processing on what's possible so much that, like, I don't think I've got the framework to work that. I, I, I would readily admit I don't want the mind-control thing to be real because <laughs> it, it, it confuses so many potential events going you know, outside of that, that oh. I'm very uh, hesitant to. I, I want to look for reasons why it's not. Yeah. yeah. Like the murder of John Lennon or. or uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, um, but it, it one thing I did. Um, yeah. The, um, the book 
that uh, Stephen Kinsner wrote called The Poisoner in Chief, which is all about MK Ultra. Fascinating, great book. Um, that obvious, like there's so much uh, evidence that the CIA was actively trying to do mind control. But in that evidence, in the research that uh, Stephen did, he did um, conclude that they didn't achieve it from what he could find. But then again, you're talking about a clandestine, you know, uh, top secret. So like, uh, if they had, would anyone know? So, yeah. yeah. Let, let me, let me just, you know, I think, I think if you start with the physical evidence of the case, you know, you don't start with the mind yeah. and you build back from that. And then you have Sirhan, as you say, you're, he's a distractor. Um, and now how yeah. does he get there and why? And then, then you look at the evidence of what happened that night. And when the shooting started, uh, uh, George Plimpton was one of those who jumped on Sirhan and uh, 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 grabbed him. And what Plimpton said immediately after was that he had enormously peaceful eyes. In the middle of a hurricane oh, of sound right. and feeling, uh, he seemed peaceful. And then Officer Adair comes running into the room, helps him grab grabs her hand, and what he said was, the guy was real confused. It was like it didn't exactly hit him what he had done. He had a blank, glassed-over look on his face, like he wasn't in complete control of his mind. This is just a cop yep. describing yeah. you know, something un unusual. Then you listen to the tapes of Sir Hand that night. He's taken down. There's, he, you know, I mean... If, if his if his motive was to kill Kennedy because he's going to send jets to Israel, uh, for example, well, why doesn't he go, no jets to Israel? Or, uh, when you listen yeah. to the tapes of him, there's no talk about the murder. There's no, he talks about kids. He talks about the teachings of Jesus, uh, you know, and, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is a guy who just shot six or seven people he didn't know. Uh, uh, he's talking about the stock stock market, all this stuff. He doesn't. Oh, and then when, when John Howard comes in and starts talking to him, he said, he, he, and we start the book that way, I think. And said, do, do you know where you are? Do, do, do you, we're down here. And, and he, he's asking all these crazy questions, you know, uh, because Howard is looking at him and says, this guy, this guy doesn't seem to know where he is. And, and then you go to the tapes of uh, Dr. Diamond and Pollock hypnotizing Sirhan in his jail cell um, and uh, to, to try to recover a memory of the crime and, you know, reach for your gun, Sirhan, reach for your gun. And put him under and then go. Yeah. And then, Kennedy's coming now. You're going to shoot him now, right? And, 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 so, and they're, they're it seems like they're crossing some sort of line where they're doing a memory implant, but yeah, uh, nevertheless, it, nevertheless, yeah, it, it definitely it, it did doesn't seem like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't really take because no matter how much they work with him under hypnosis, they bring him out and he just doesn't remember. And, um, and it's, it's very frustrating. Um, but what they do discover is he's extraordinarily easy to hypnotize. It's like, you know, they're like, one one person in twenty is as easy to hypnotize as Sirhan is, and he's in that class. And also his total post hypnotic suggestion. So they do they run this little experiment where you know he's under and they say, well, we're going to bring you out now, but uh, a little later, uh, you know, Doctor Dime's going to take out his uh, handkerchief. And you see his handkerchief. You're going to climb the bars of your cell and look out the window and say it's snowing. So you know they go on and do other stuff and. About 20 minutes later, Diamond takes out his handkerchief and blows his nose. So Han climbs the bars of his cell, looks out the window and says, it's snowing. Now, it's, wow. you know, it, 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 that post-hypnotic suggestion. So, so it's, and then you mentioned the, uh, the diaries as evidence that uh, yep. it wasn't mind control. And yet you look at those pages, you look at those pages and it, and it, um, 
they're like a crazy man wrote them. It's not like somebody in a normal, I'm going to kill Kennedy because he's a lot of, no, it's just the most crazy. I have pictures of it on my wall. It's just, um, you know, it, it, this is not a person in a normal state of mind writing these things. And he has no memory of writing this stuff. Um, So it was apparently done in some session where he was just set go. But at the trial, when they're reading wow. these pages back and asking him, what did you mean by this? Is, I, I really don't know because I don't remember writing it. Um, but so when, um, when you. Oh, I was just going to ask when you spoke with him, does he have does he think he was manipulated or does he not know or. Um. It's changed over the years. I mean, he's always okay. assumed it's always assumed that he he murdered uh, Kennedy and he just didn't know why. And then slowly over time, there's been the introduction of evidence to suggest that he didn't shoot Kennedy. He was there and he was part of what was going on. But none of the bullets in his gun struck Robert Kennedy. Uh, Robert Kennedy's son. Robert Jr. is one of those who believes that um, that Sirhan did not shoot his father and was not a willful part ah, of, okay. of that thing. And unfortunately, the other kids are uh, uh, pretty much uh, he murdered our father. You should never be let go. But uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, is absolutely on our side on this thing. He's looked at the evidence and and talked to Sirhan and said, no, this man didn't shoot my father. So wow. It, um, and so. and Sirhan did have a recorded, like, head injury, like, from a horse riding accident or something. And it, isn't there a doctor that, well, I can't remember how, but there, there could be that he was in the hospital for longer than uh, yeah. normal. And, and that kind of stuff does dovetail with the information Stephen Kinsner was writing about in the poisoner in chief and that, that, that doesn't, uh, I mean, the CIA was doing that to, to yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and he was also looking into mysticism and such. So, you know, Oh, uh, that's right. The, the Rose, uh, Crucians. Yeah. Which and, the woman in the polka dot dress, mention to the guy that yeah. she was getting coffee with yeah very good very good yeah yeah there's <laughs> there's definitely some strange there's stuff yeah yeah this is not your normal thing no. and i think that's the most important thing to understand is it not your normal thing it didn't happen the way they said it did and if you or i can't fully explain how it all came about well uh that's too bad. But if we can explain, you know, uh, what we can explain is that this did not happen the way they said it happened. And the police destroyed the most important pieces of evidence. And the police uh, uh, came down on uh, witnesses and uh, made them change their story, forced them to change their story. Or they just plain hid the evidence for 20 years where no one could see if what they saw was the same as any what anybody else saw. Yeah. So everybody was made to feel that they were the only ones who saw this mysterious woman. And, uh, you know, I, 30, 30 names here, and there's more than that, um, uh, people that uh, uh, saw this woman with Sirhan a week or two before at other Kennedy oh, gatherings. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's bizarre, and I, I don't know how to explain it all. Yeah. But, but, uh, I, but what I do know is that, uh, Sir Han acting alone did not murder Robert Kennedy. Yeah. And it was interesting, uh, the security guard angle, uh, that with, uh, I believe his name is Caesar, that, uh, that other investigator, Dan, uh, Moldova, I believe is. Yeah. Yeah. Moldeo. He, uh, thought, for a long time that Caesar had done it correct. But then for some reason he changed his tune on that just based off of one interview and, uh, and the polygraph or something. But it seems like to me, 
what struck me was, well, if this guy is a paid CIA assassin, I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to stay calm in one journalist interview and pass a polygraph, if that's what you're actually talking about. Like, I mean, yeah, it didn't seem like his change of heart really made sense on that. He wrote a book that was somewhat similar to my own about outlining the evidence that showed that the case was not what we've all thought it was and all the the malfeasance by the police. But somewhere at the end, he had some sort of change of heart. I think it was when Gerald Posner uh, made uh, $3 million on his book Case Closed uh, for the the Kennedy. And, you know, he he knew that conspiracy books uh, don't make any money. They just don't. Uh, but people who write books that, that say, don't worry about anything, those do very well. And so what he did, what, rather than go back and change everything he said in his book, he, he put a 25-page addendum onto the book where he explains why he's changed all his reasoning. Uh, and a lot of that was he, he went and saw Caesar, and he, he was pretty sure with his interrogation techniques that he'd break Caesar down. Yeah. After 40 years of whatever. Well, he couldn't break Caesar down. And and so what does that mean? And he gave him a polygraph test, which, again, that all depends on the operator. I don't, that doesn't mean anything. And so now Caesar didn't do it. So, well, what must mean that Sirhan did it all and that uh, that all those people who saw bullets? Well, they were all wrong. Yeah. You know why they were wrong? It's a motorcycle cop. Yeah. Walter Tew. And that is the strangest, weakest. Oh, a motorcycle came, cop came in and circled these holes, and they fooled everybody else from there on. So they you know, took the things down and they pried bullets out of them, and and all it. And and it was just because a motorcycle cop was the first guy there, and he put his numbers. And that literally makes no logical sense. On that, a you would discount a motorcycle cop as if he didn't know what bullets were he's still a professional police officer and then why would they take the door jam if it right. was like yeah it doesn't make any logical sense just to, why would uh, why would they take it and then why would they burn it and yeah yeah so you know, if it was proof that there wasn't any bullet holes there um you know it, yeah i gotta i gotta say in the rfk tapes uh i did appreciate the kind of back and forth analysis uh that you and your co-host zach had on different opinions of it because i think that's useful but uh it seemed like he was trying to wrap up the the series a little too neatly if you ask me and kind of kind of uh had a bit of a change of heart and put a bow on it uh to make it all make sense, which did was not supported kind of. Yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you decided to do the MLK tapes on your own. Um, because I think that gives a lot. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think yeah, the, the, uh, the MLK tapes gets a lot more in depth in the controversies and the logical discrepancies than the RFK tapes did. Yeah. I think the RFK tapes could have been a really great um, addition, a useful addition to the, the literature. And I don't know why they, they, that was not the plan to start out that huh. we were going to, to debate that. Uh, that was a plan that was introduced halfway through the show and I wasn't even told about it. Uh, and uh, um, so I, I resigned from the show and then they realized, Oh, we still need you for this and we need you for that. And so okay. they, they lured me back and said, well, we'll give you one episode. Episode 14 can be your episode and you can say anything you want. So I just took this one episode and laid the case out as best I could in yeah. the time I had. Um, and then, you know, agreed to meet Moldea at the great debate um, and, uh, you know, a couple other things. But um, it, that that was not how it was um told to me how it was going to go yeah and i and, and i'm not afraid of an argument i mean yeah I, if, if 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 it had been laid out that we're going to be on opposite you know seeing things that uh, would have been fine um but that's that's not how it was laid out. no it's, it, it definitely seems like it's got a little bit of shady editing towards the end to uh, 
to wrap up very nicely uh, on Zach's side, which, like, I, yeah, it. Uh, so it's good to hear what you think outside of that to give more perspective. Yeah. I, he he was driving up to my house to do the final interview we were going to, and and so he's talking into the thing, and it's like, I'm going to go see Bill now, and it's it's like, you know, I'm, it's like talking to someone who really believes in God and telling them there isn't one. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, and and you know, I don't know. You said that, so yeah, you know. Uh, so I mean, that's. Um, anyway, I mean, I known Zach since uh, he was seven or eight years old. Uh, uh, he grew up in the neighborhood. I knew his parents. Uh, he approached me to do the podcast. Uh, and, uh, I, I, anyway, I was disappointed, let's say, yeah, uh, and how, how things went. So, well, uh, anyway, I, don't uh, want the MLK tapes. I'm excited to see how that ends, uh, because it is fantastic. Uh, and again, so well done for anyone listening to this. This is just kind of giving a big overview, you should absolutely listen to the MLK tapes and um, check out uh, Bill's book, Shadow Play, about the RFK assassination. Um, Have you got any other projects that you're eyeing to do in the future? that uh because i'm 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 ready to pay attention and hear more so <laughs> well you'll be the first to know jim if, if i if i do but i excellent uh, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> uh, but this this has been a lot of fun and and you, you really you run a really great interview thanks for listening to the independent riot podcast your home for free thinkers independent believers and radicals questioning the status quo we really hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did please do us a huge favor and leave a quick positive review on whatever platform you're using it's free to you and super easy to leave us a good ranking and really help spread the word about the podcast to other independent thinking folks Thanks for listening, and please go ahead and subscribe so we can be sure to see you next time.